Uh, why did Bathsheba say, may my Lord King David live forever when he was about to die? Was he sort of rubbing it in a little bit? Uh, was it blind optimism? Was it wishful thinking? Was it a super faith prayer? I think more than likely what she was doing was she was referring more to the idea of the, the kingdom of David. It's kind of like, King David, may your kingdom live forever. Uh, obviously, she's not talking about him specifically because that would be a bit awkward. And indeed, it's true to say that when Jesus is talked about as the son of David, it's because he's actually in that line of the kingdom of David. And so what Bathsheba asked and prayed for, in fact, happened. Question two. Why didn't King Solomon show mercy to his brother-in-law? Uh, actually, means his stepbrother or half-brother. Uh, that is the guy Adonijah. When Adonijah tried to be king first, he realised he was in trouble because he didn't get it, and so he ran and he held on to the uh, the the, uh, the, um, the ark. And then they said, "No, it can't be the ark. Would have been the altar. That's right. The ark would have been a bit awkward." Um, and then he got mercy, but he said, "You can have mercy as long as you remain." committed to the king and then he stopped and then he no longer was in that mercy and got what he deserved question three did god's promises justify the murders by king solomon when he first became king well firstly solomon didn't murder people when he killed them because he was carrying out the legal judgment of the king so in the, it's sort of the same sort of thing that if you're told to go to kill in war, then you're not murdering, you're killing. You might think it's a fine line, but it's a very important line. Uh, did God's promises justify Solomon killing those men? Well, yes, they did. Because you see, anybody who rejects God's king will face judgment and death. And when that happens, it's good and proper. Now, we saw that in a very literal way in the Old Testament, a very literal way when God's king carried out that punishment. Uh, we don't see that as clearly today, do we? Because God has reserved a time when he will judge, when he will come to judge the living and the dead. And that is why it's so important right now that every person who is alive comes to the Lord Jesus and finds mercy in him. Because the time will come when God's king will judge and he will carry out a just punishment for those who don't take mercy in him. If you follow God's king, you'll be safe. Question four. What do you think about capital punishment? Well, have a look at this. In Romans 13.4, it says, The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They will yield the sword. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So capital punishment is not wrong. If a ruler wants to do that and, it, and their society considers that to be okay, then, according to the Bible, I think it says it's okay. What do I personally think about it, which I think is what that question is asking me? Um, I guess I'm concerned that you can't really hit undo if you make a mistake and that putting somebody in maximum security for their entire life is still a pretty awful way to die. Um, but... Different Christians have different opinions about this, and I'd love you to chat about that and to share what you think. Question five. When someone, I'm ahead of time. When someone says, surely as the Lord lives, do they think that God can die? 
Mm, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's basically when Solomon said in a really serious oath, he said, as surely as the Lord lives, I, I don't think he imagined there'd be a time when the Lord wouldn't live. Instead, it was a way of him saying that my promise is really, really serious. And because the Lord is around forever and ever, that's how important it is when you swear under oath that you continue to keep your promise. Question six. Why did Jesus tell people he healed not to share the news of their healing with others? You noticed that before? It's a bit weird, isn't it? Jesus does this amazing thing and he says, shh, don't tell anybody about the fact that you, your, your right hand now works and it didn't before. Uh, it seems that that was the case certainly on earlier on in his ministry because he wanted for a while to remain under the radar because he knew that when everybody knew about him, it would speed things up and he knew what was going to happen. He was going to go to his death. And so at that point, it was not the right time. And so he said to people, can you keep it quiet? But there would be a time when everybody would know about it and what happened, happened. Question seven. Was God happy for Solomon to have so many wives? Well, uh, God was certainly not happy for him to have foreign wives that Graham talked about last week, and we're going to explore that a bit more when we come to it in a few chapters' time. Interesting, in the New Testament, when it's saying, this is what you need to be like if you're going to be the elder of God's people, it says, the husband of one wife. You know, I think Solomon would, would make that cut 700 times. And I think it's probably because the plan for marriage is one man and one woman, as we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which is before Solomon, interestingly. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Perhaps not 701. But, but it's interesting, though, to see in the, New Te- in the Old Testament that, that God allowed multiple wives... Um, provided the marriage was faithful. And it could be argued that that's a way to show kindness to a widow and, and in other situations as well. So I don't think, uh, it'd be interesting to think about this, but I don't think God would be specifically unhappy with Solomon for having so many wives, provided that he was faithful to them and so forth in the covenant of marriage. But it seems that the ultimate solution is monogamy, uh, one husband, one wife. But the ultimate, ultimate solution is no marriage at all. When we get to heaven, there's no marriage. So what are we getting worked up about? Question eight. Uh, is it right for a Christian to marry a non-Christian? Uh, Graham talked about that last week, uh, and he quoted 1 Corinthians 7.39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. Uh, I think in 1 Corinthians 7, it's, uh, it's certainly saying that if you're in the situation where you are able to remarry in this, make sure you find someone who loves Jesus as much as you do. That same chapter also addresses the issue of whether you're currently in a marriage where one of you is not a follower of Jesus. And in that situation, it says, stay where you are, continue to honour the Lord and to pray for the person that you're married to. Uh, but if you're not yet married, then don't do the thing that God says, here's how to get out of that, here's what to deal with that difficult issue. Uh, the better thing is to wait or to remain single. 
Question nine, is it wrong for Christians to read and believe in star signs? Uh, Yes, uh, it's wrong to do that. People who don't follow God want to know what the future is, and so they look at the movement of the stars and then they read about it in the papers or wherever people read them these days. Uh, Usually when that happens, as we see it in the Bible, people get the wrong information and it gets very confusing, and like it happens in Daniel chapter 2 and other places as well. In Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it talks about this kind of stuff where spiritualism is forbidden, and many times it's the thing that causes God's people to get into a bit of a mess. Everything you need to know about the future is in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, pray and don't worry. You don't need to say, oh, what do the stars say? Am I going to go and marry this person or that person? Am I going to get this job or whatever? Don't worry about it. Trust God, follow him, and don't get confused by things that are not helpful and at at worst, evil. Finally, does a person need to have a true faith in God to possess godly wisdom? It's possible for an atheist to be wise. There are many very wise atheists. Uh, we believe a doctrine in the, that is that uh, God has provided common grace, and that is that unbelievers can be smart and creative and kind and wise. But whatever's meant by godly wisdom, it seems that you'd need to actually know God to have it. But what about someone who is a Christian leader who is purporting to be a follower of God and yet they go through moral failure? If you're a person who's followed Jesus because you've heard the talk from somebody who's said, here's how you become a Christian, and then it turns out that that person has had, a moral, fa- had moral failure, it doesn't mean that the ministry didn't work. It doesn't mean that what you were taught wasn't true. You see, we know that God can speak even through a donkey. And so he can use sinful people to achieve his good and perfect plan.